I reckon it has to be arguably one of the most well-known of Christian hymns. Uh, It's sung at funerals. It's been sung at weddings. It's even sung at the uh, football, I believe, in some parts of the world. And Barack Obama belted out a few stanzas not that long ago with a beautiful baritone and a nice... Uh, what's the word? Vibrato in his voice. You might have heard it. It was, of course, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Now, the life and conversion of its author, John Newton, see a picture of him up there, it is actually quite a fascinating story. Now, he is most well-known for writing this hymn, but he's also well-known for his fight against the slave trade uh, with William Wilberforce and those people at that time. Some reckon, though, that you can see there that third line in the first stanza, that he's exaggerating. When he calls himself a wretch, come on, you know, John, you're being a bit hard on yourself. You're exaggerating. You know what? I don't think he thought he was exaggerating. I don't think he was. Let me point out some parts of the story that you may not know. He was raised up until the age of seven uh, with a Christian mother, and then she died. And then by the age of 11, he was joining his father on the high seas. His father was a merchant Navy ship captain. Now, just think about all the things that they would get up to on the high seas, on a a boat, doing their thing, Uh, all that. He was known for his unsettled behaviour and impatience of restraint, (laughs) Um, said one employer who sacked him early on. He joined the Navy as a teenager and then he deserted. Bad. He was caught, he was flogged, and then he begged to join a slaving ship. He was arrogant and insubordinate. He wrote later, I sinned with a high hand. I made it my study to tempt and seduce others. How about that? I never never knew that about him. Now, on one fateful journey in 1747, uh, Newton's ship was hit by a storm. And at the time, he was confronted uh, by a line in a book he was reading, which read, Uncertain Continuance of Life uncertain continuance of life as his storm hit around him that's that's what he was thinking about at the time well he converted and he continued to serve as a captain of slave ships hoping that he'd have a christian influence in 1755 he left the slave trade and moved to an office job and due to the influence of john and charles wesley it's a lovely name of course um, and George Whitfield, Wesley was the, the Wesleys were great hymn writers. Uh, some of our most well-known hymns, "O for a Thousand Tongues" and "Can It Be," written by the Wesleys. <coughs> George, George Whitfield was a, a preacher of the time, a great preacher. Due to their influence, he became more and more disgusted by the slave trade. Well, he eventually quit that job and moved into Anglican ministry. And there he met William Cowper. Now, William Cap was another great hymn writer. And together, they wrote, well, hundreds of hymns, but they wrote Amazing Grace. This story of God's 
unmerited favour. That's what grace is, isn't it? Unmerited favour, undeserved love. This story of God's uh, grace in John Newton's life is truly amazing. We don't have time to go into all the details of his life. And like Newton, if you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you believe, if you follow him, if you believe that he died and rose again, if you believe in the grace of God working in your life, then that amazing story of God's grace is actually your story as well. You know that? It's your story too. And in Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, we find it's Israel's story, it's God's people's story. We find Hosea living out and illustrating that same grace, that same grace that works in your life, that same grace that has worked in John Newton's life, that same grace that's working in the Israelites' life. In fact, chapter 2 if you remember from the past couple of weeks, chapter 2 is a commentary on or an explanation of the actions of chapter 3. I'll put it another way. Chapter 3 is an enacted parable that illustrates the message of chapter 2. So Hosea's love for Goma, that's his wife, despite her unfaithfulness, mirrors God's love for his people despite their unfaithfulness. Well, let's get to Hosea. Let's get to Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. Um, don't forget, too, it's a reminder. We'll have a short time of, of questions and comments um, after, after the sermon. So, and don't forget to use the comment card as well, the boxes at the back. Please use it. They've been very helpful and very useful as we go along. So, chapter 3, verse 1 Hosea is told, Go. Go, go show your, your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. I love that bit of the Bible. What on earth are these sacred raisin cakes? What? They must taste really good. Um, we'll find out in a moment. It's not as funny as we'd like, unfortunately. Uh, anyway, we'll get into it in a second. So in her unfaithfulness, Goma has now either gone off with another man or works as a prostitute or possibly a bit of both. Either way, she has to be bought back in verse 2 uh, by a, a considerable sum. So she has to be bought back. So whether it's prostitution or whether it's the buying back because she's off with another man, we're not really sure. But either way, <coughs> Hosea, what Hosea is told to do is shameful. Shameful. To take your wife back, uh, who has prostituted herself to other men, that's not just embarrassment, that is that's utter shame. It's disgraceful. But indeed, what we're learning in Hosea is that what God has done by making a covenant, a promise with unfaithful Israel by choosing them is equally shameful. They have prostituted themselves to other gods. Can you imagine Hosea for a minute? So don't forget we're talking about a real person, a real man, a, a real woman. Imagine the social stigma, the, the laughter and the ridicule that Hosea would have copped. Each, each jibe, each comment. You see, for Hosea, that was actually an opportunity to speak about the Word of God. Every time he was ridiculed, every time he was ignored, every time his shame was, was heaped on him, 
that was an opportunity to speak of the word of God. But as they continued to ridicule him, they, well, really they only were heaping judgment upon themselves as they ignored God's word through his prophet. In fact, Israel's worship of other gods was so self-centered and shallow in their unfaithfulness that they preferred the cakes, these raisin cakes, that the Baals offered over the true and living God. Not as funny anymore, is it? That was what was going on. Uh, imagine this. Imagine choosing a church that taught false teaching over a good, solid, Bible-believing and welcoming teaching church and so on, simply because they had better donuts after the service at morning tea. That's what's going on. It is crazy. It is, it's laughable. It's sort of funny if it wasn't so serious and so awful. And it's ridiculous, stupid and sinful all at once. And that's what was going on with Israel. So Hosea, in obedience to God and his word, buys back, uh, sorry, Hosea buys Gomer back for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and lethic of barley. Uh, you can go into the research and see how much that is, but really, just, it's a lot, right? It's not cheap, it's not a few cents, it's a lot. Uh, it's a lot of money and then it's a lot of produce as well. So verse 3, then I told her, so Hosea, uh, talking to Gomer, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. So Hosea enacts God's love. But Hosea's actions also show us that a price must be paid for this relationship to be restored. Like Israel in their coming exile, Gomer would be restricted for many days. Why? Why, why would... Uh, Hosea do this to Gomer well so that she would repent and turn back so that Israel would repent and turn back Hosea is to love her look at that in verse 1 Hosea is to redeem her look at that in verse 2 Hosea is to restore her verse 3 Hosea's life is the living illustration of God's love for his people it cost Hosea to redeem Gomer, not just financially, but emotionally as well. It cost his heart. And friends, it cost God to redeem us. Only do, and not only do Hosea's actions illustrate God's actions with Israel, but they all point to the greatest love. They all point to the greatest redemption, the perfect restoration through God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Peter 1.18. Next slide, thanks. Thanks, Carla. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. bought with a price I read this story during the week uh, there's no exact names but it, it reminds us of what God has done for us back in the 1800s a young Englishman 
I traveled to California in search of gold. After several months of prospecting, well, he, he struck rich. He was a wealthy man. On his way home, he stopped by at New Orleans. Not long into his visit, he came across this crowd of people all looking in the same direction. Uh, sorry, approached the crowd and he saw that they were gathered for a slave auction. Now, because of the work of such men that we've mentioned before, like John Newton and William Wilberforce, slavery in England, well, that had been outlawed for many years. So this young man's curiosity drew him to this moment uh, to watch this person become someone else's property. Well, as he arrived, sold, he heard, and a middle-aged black man was then led away. Next up, a beautiful black uh, young girl was pushed up on the platform and made to walk around so that everyone would see her and eye her out. The miner heard the bidder's crude jokes, uh, comments spoke of evil intentions. Men were laughing at her as their eyes remained fixed on this new item for sale. The bidding began. Within a minute, the bidding surpassed what most slave owners would pay for a black girl. Up, up it went. And as the bidding continued higher and higher, it was apparent that two men wanted her. Back and forth they went. And in between bids, they, they laughed about what they were going to do with her and how the other one would miss out because they would have her and so on. And the young man stood silent, his blood starting to boil away. Uh, willing up inside of him this anger and finally one man bid the price that was beyond the reach of the other and the girl's face dropped uh, going once going twice and before that final call the miner yelled out a price that was exactly twice the previous bid an amount that exceeded the worth of any strong able abled man well the crowd laughed thinking what a crazy person just having a joke, um, wishing that, that maybe, maybe wishing that the you know, wishing that he would, uh, this miner would have the girl for himself. Well, the auctioneer motioned to the miner, "Okay, you come and show us the money." Well, the miner opened up this bag of gold he had uh, brought for the trip. The auctioneer shook his head in disbelief, and he waved the girl over to him. The girl walked down the steps of the platform until she was eye to eye with the miner and she spat in his face and said through clenched teeth I hate you the miner without a word wiped his face paid the auctioneer took the girl by the hand and walked her away from the still laughing crowd now he seemed to be looking for something in particular as he walked up the street uh, with this young girl. Finally, he stopped in front of a, some sort of store. And though the slave girl did not know what type of store it was, she waited outside as the miner went inside and started talking to an elderly man there. She couldn't make out what they were talking about. At one point, these voices inside got louder and louder and she overheard the store uh, clerk say, but it's the law, but it's the law, you, you can't, it's the law. Well, peering in, she saw the miner pull out another bag of gold. In fact, um, pour out what was left that he had all out on the table. With what looked like a look of disgust, the 
clerk, the clerk I should say, picked up the gold and, and went in a back room. He came out with a piece of paper and both he and the miner signed it. The young girl looked away as the miner came out the door. Stretching out his hand, he said to the girl, here are your release papers. You're free. The girl didn't even look up. He tried again. Here are your release papers. You're free. And finally, she answers, I, I hate you. Why, why do you make fun of me? Why do you do this? What sort of person are you? No, no, he listened. These, these are your papers for freedom. You're a free person. You're free. The girl looked at the papers and then he looked at him. Then he, he looked at the papers, <laughs> looked at him and back and forth. You just bought me. You just bought me. Now, and now you're setting me free? Well, that's why I bought you. I bought you so that I could set you free, he said. Well, the beautiful young girl fell to her knees in front of the miner, tears streaming down her face. You bought me to set me free. You, you bought me to set me free, she said over and over. Uh, friends, Jesus, by Jesus' death, he bought us to set us free. He bought us to set us free from the slavery to sin. By his precious blood, he has set us free from sin and slavery to it and the emptiness that goes with it. If you remember that from the last verse there, the emptiness that's handed down, the empty way of life. We have been bought with a price and that's the, blood of, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. We mustn't miss the point of Hosea's experience. Hosea's pain is God's pain. In the story, Hosea plays the part of God. And what are we? Well, we're Goma. We're the unfaithful wife. The way Goma treated Hosea is the way we have treated God. And what is God's response? Verse 1. He shows us his love again. Verse 2, he buys us back with the precious, uh, the precious blood of, of Jesus, his son. And he restores us to his presence. And so as we come to verses 4 and 5, verses 4 and 5 look forward to our return. You see that? But it's not so much a return to the land following exile, it's actually returned to God. Relationship made right, restored. Verse 4 is a description of the exile that Israel will soon face. You see that all institutions are stripped away. There's no king, there's no prince, nothing good or bad associated with the temple that's listed there. Not that, that nothing good or bad associated with the temple will survive. But verse, four, verse 5 describes a return after exile. But this is so much more than a return to the land. This is a return to God himself. They will seek the Lord. Do you see it? Remember, Israel's exile at the hands of the Assyrians. Likewise, Judah's exile at the hands of the Babylonians was an act of judgment. God would remove his blessings so that they would know that he is the one true blessing. That was chapter 2. But the people had left God. They had exiled themselves. And friends, isn't this a picture of humanity? Isn't it? 
That's us. We too have left God. We are the adulterous wife. And because of our sin, well, we're banished from God's presence. Sin separates us from God. It's a barrier between us and God. God's judgment on Israel is just a small example of a bigger issue. God's judgment and our separation from Him due to our sin. And so what we see in verse 5 is that the final destination of God's saving purposes is a return to God Himself. Do you see that? And to David their king. But hold on, David their king? David's long gone. He's dead. Dead and buried. No, no, this is the king in David's line. This is the new King David, God's eternal king, the king that God promised would rescue his people, that would bring forgiveness, that would bring a new covenant, that would reign over them forever in peace and justice. And of course, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The New Testament makes clear that this king, this king, God's king, is God's Christ, God's Messiah, the servant king, who came to die and came to give his life as a ransom for many who came to bring exile to an end. We who were once far off have been brought near. By God's amazing grace, Jesus died for sinners like you and me to bring us back to him. As Hosea prophesied God's people have been coming to the Lord in these last days the last days is the time between Jesus uh, first and second coming so we're in that now our time people have been coming to the Lord let's pray that many more people come to the Lord perhaps that's you today you need to come to the Lord that many more would come to experience the amazing grace of God's King who died for the adulterous wife, us who loves the unfaithful, who loves the sinner, a wretch like me and who restores and brings us back from exile. The beautiful young girl fell to her knees and in front of the miner, uh, tears streaming down her face, you bought me to set me free. You bought me to set me free, she said over and over. But the miner said nothing. Clutching his muddy boots, the girl looked up at the miner and said, all I want to do is serve you because you bought me to set me free. So how will you respond? How will we respond to God's grace today? Why don't we pray and ask him for the right response in Jesus' name. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your amazing grace to us. It is just extraordinary that we would exile ourselves from you and go our own way. And yet, Lord God, you have brought us back in your son, Jesus. Lord, thank you that we can, we can trust in you. We thank you that because, Lord Jesus, you bought us with your, with your body, with your blood, with your life, Lord, in response that we can serve you as our King, uh, Lord, as our Saviour. Lord, help us to do that. In Jesus' name, Amen.